As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Until Saturday, The Athletic's college football podcast. Uh, I am here with Scott Docterman, Sam Kahn. I am David Ubbin. If you haven't already, uh, you need to be following us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you want your podcast. We're probably there. Uh, you can get those delivered to your device directly as soon as they're up. You don't have to be searching around. If you want to search around, that's fine. But hey, we're trying to make it easier uh, on you. Uh, if you could also drop us a five-star review, uh, that'd be great. Uh, we like to hear from you. And be nice, please. Uh, and if you have a question or an interesting comment that we might use it in a future mailbag episode, we'll drop those periodically. Um, and of course you can check us out until Saturday on YouTube, subscribe to, uh, find out when new videos are published. We'll be doing lots of video content, especially once the season starts guys, uh, quite a weekend. Uh, I don't know how we're going to find something to talk about. Uh, there's only a couple <laughs> things. Um, what I think only seven schools switched conferences and, and four are looking for a new home. I think that's right. So um, a lot of places to start. I think let's start here, guys. Everybody likes to play the blame game. And I think most fans, most people believe that, hey, college football got worse over the weekend. Who are we? Who who deserves the most fingers pointed in their direction? Scott, we'll start with you. It's got to be Larry Scott. It has to be. I mean, he inherited a league that was in great shape, a little old fashioned, but still in great shape as, as the Pac-10. He got really aggressive right off the very beginning. David and I were there in Kansas City when the the uh, invitation was to turn it to the Pac-16 back in 2010. It didn't work out, but they did get a quality team in, in Utah and in Colorado. It's kind of languished there. But ever since then, there's been nothing but incredible hubris and just horrible business moves. I mean, you know, to get basically a Skyrise uh, studio or or offices in San Francisco to uh, the Big Ten wanted to do a wholesale sharing agreement with them where they would share games in every sport and, and cooperate, and they backed off of that. And then you just look over the years, um, you know, they they ended up uh, blowing up a chance to, to have NBC and Comcast be part of uh, their TV package. And finally, with the Pac-12 Networks, 
They partnered with nobody, and then they got no viewership. So I think he's the one who set the entire table for for the downfall of the Pac-12, made it vulnerable, made it economically depressed when compared to its peer conferences, and George Kliakoff was just kind of there, stuck holding the knife at the end. And you managed to not even talk about the Comcast overpayments and the uh, conference offices. These are all like... When you talk about the failures of the Pac-12 over the last decade, it's a long list. Sam, who are you pointing the finger at uh, for college football fans to get mad at? (laughs) I think it's a combination of a couple of figures. I'll start with Scott. Scott's right. I think Larry Scott and George Klyovkov, both of the last two Pac-12 commissioners, I think share a lot of blame here. Scott, for the reason Scott said... Klyovkov because of inaction, because they had a chance in 2021 after Texas and OU left the Big 12 to add Big 12 members and solidify themselves. And they chose not to. And then the Big 12 ended up being a little bit more aggressive, adding four new members at that time. Then when Brent Yormark came in, they got a TV deal done before going to open market, well before going to open market, which would have been 2025. They did it three years early, and that ended up boxing the Pac-12 out of the TV negotiations. So that's those commissioners I'll give some blame to. But also, I think the TV networks have a lot of blame here because they are the ones deciding what inventory is valuable enough to keep and what inventory is not valuable enough to include in a major conference. And, and if TV money and TV networks were not the primary carrot dangling here, then I don't think we'd be in this in this situation. At most major realignment moves in the last two, three decades can be traced back to the chase chasing of TV dollars. And I, I think it's it's impossible to overlook the roles of the TV networks in this in these realignment discussions. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go off the board and I'm gonna say everyone. <laughs> I think, you know, you look at college football. You know, thirty years ago, whatever, uh, 1984, when the, the Supreme Court decision is passed, you're basically Smeagol at that point, right? Well, now you've been chasing that TV money for a long time. You've gotten addicted to it, and if you get to the finish line and you're obsessed with this one thing, and you're something sort of ugly and recognizable, a golem, if you will, then you have no one to blame but yourself. You know, it's the same thing that these athletic departments do. Um, from day to day, when you are addicted to the money that boosters come, uh, boosters provide your program, well, then when you end up making a coach hire that maybe you don't love because they say, we're making this hire or my money's gone, well, then that's what you've done. You've, you've sold out to the boosters and you've lost control, even though you're the person whose name's on the decision. Somebody else is making the actual decision. Well, it's the same thing at a macro level here, okay? You've sold out to the TV money, so if you want to say... Well, it's not us. It's ESPN and Fox that are making all these decisions. Yeah, because you've sold out and you've allowed the TV networks to control all of college football. You've made a bunch of little micro decisions over the last 30 years. You've gotten more and more addicted to the TV money. We have to operate this way. We have to be a nonprofit. We can't make players employees. We can't uh, share any revenue. Uh, We're going to become a billion-dollar business and keep money away from the players, and we have to continue living paycheck to paycheck. We can't have any coffers. Well, now we have to have... Uh, you know, $150, 200000000 million budgets, uh, but we still have to act like we're broke. 
this is what happens. You've been addicted to this to this uh, TV money for a long time. And at the very end, you're something ugly and unrecognizable from where you were when you started. And so when you have conferences where Rutgers and Washington are, are together uh, and UCF and Utah uh, are together and like, yeah, that's obviously what happens when all of college football gets addicted to this money. You become something totally different and it's hard to watch. But spare me, you know, pointing to Larry Scott, pointing to the TV networks. You all did this. You've been doing this for 30 years. So I blame everyone. <laughs> and I'd also blame the fact that the product itself has not been able to sell itself. And they've had some tremendous players. I remember watching Christian McCaffrey in person uh, for a, a certain Rose Bowl performance. But but when you look at the last two years, they've only had six total Pac-12 games that have had at least three and a half million viewers. And, you know, sometimes the games are late, late, late at night. But but when you're looking at, uh, you know, even the Pac-12 title game had less than 6 million viewers. And that was Utah-USC. But, you know, Washington-Oregon, it's 3.6. I mean, that's a very low-level Big Ten or SEC game. So that's up to the commissioners, the schools, make themselves more marketable. And uh, the viewership in that region and then, of course, across the country just wasn't interested enough which is, of course, why the TV companies weren't interested enough in, in paying them a premium price tag. But why is that a problem? Point. Hold on, I'm going to interject there, Scott. Why, why is it a huge deal in if a Pac-12 championship game gets $3 million versus a Big Ten championship get, game gets $7 million? Because I think it goes back to David's point, is that they've sold out for TV dollars, so that becomes the measurement of success. Why is that the measurement of success? College football has 133 FBS programs. It has 10 conferences. We are, It isn't made for everybody to, for five, six, seven, eight million people to watch every single major game. It, it, there are pockets of it. So I, I don't necessarily feel like I, I would put blame on the Pac-12 or its fans for this because that not every conference is created equal. Not every group is created equal. I think it's okay to exist where some conferences have eight million people watching their games, and some conferences have two or three, or, or even less if you're if you're in the group of five. So I don't necessarily put blame on the Pac-12 because that's not what college football was meant to be. It's not the NFL where every game's going to get monster ratings. Yeah, I just think I, I I roll my eyes when we hear all of these uh, conversations about well, we had no choice. You know, we have to do this. We have to follow the money. Okay, maybe right now. You have to choose, but you've made a lot of little decisions over time and not just sort of good or bad decisions, just money decisions that say, hey, TV money is what this is all about. And I think, again, fans want to go and beat their chest when, oh, you know, look at our SEC paychecks. Look at our Big Ten paychecks. Fans don't see that money. It does not affect fans. And this idea that like, oh, and I think this I think around the last uh, when realignment, the last round of realignment, uh, the first of the modern, I guess, around that time, Scott, of 2008, 2009, when the Big Ten elected to expand, I feel like the tone and the tenor of conversation in college sports shifted, where all of a sudden fans were very aware of our league makes this much, that league makes this much. I don't remember this at all when I was growing up. I don't remember people caring. I don't remember people knowing. And all of a sudden, that is the measure of a league. And if one league, and part of that is the gulf growing, and I understand not wanting to fall behind. But again, if somebody was in charge of this sport, you could see the foresight. And having somebody step in and say, hey, you guys, back to your corners, back to your corners. Let's not get into a brawl here where we become something we don't want to become. 
Let's just chill. And again, I, I, I really am a big believer in, I think the more we've seen, I've, I've thought this for several years, the idea of pooling your television rights and having some sort of merit-based revenue sharing, even within the leagues, it doesn't make sense that Ohio State and Rutgers get the same amount of money from the Big Ten. It doesn't make sense that Alabama and Vanderbilt get the same amount of money. And they can say, well, rising tide lifts all boats. Okay, that's fine. But it still doesn't make sense, you know? And so... The economics of college sports, we could do a three-hour podcast if we wanted to about how none of it makes sense. And when you have a situation where a lot of things don't make sense, you end up in a place where the entire landscape doesn't make sense. And that's where we are. And I, I think even though things have been trending in this direction for a long time, I mean, I don't remember, you know, I remember around 2010, everybody talking about, oh, it's going to be four major conferences, four super conferences, 16 teams. Well, in the last, I'd say, four or five years, it's been pretty clear that we're going into a a two power league situation. It's not good for the sport, you know, and I think um, the college football, you know, <clears throat> the NFL was built off of the college of off, off college football's popularity. College football is much older, uh, much more established, and they've, they've turned into something different that people obviously love, but people, I love the NFL. I also love college football. They're very, very different things. And I think that, you know, naturally you're sort of um, evolving into something that's more and more like the NFL because that's where the TV money is. And I, I'm not even sure, honestly. I think there's a fear that this will backfire and people will love things less. And, and maybe that's true. I don't actually think that's true. I just am bemoaning the loss of something that looks different than the NFL. And I loved college football for all of its regional identity and all of those rivalries. And, and I actually am not sure that a reckoning is coming or that a bubble pop is coming um, or that when you axe out the you know, the NC states or the Texas Techs or the Oregon states. And, and all of a sudden, you don't have those people that want to watch the big time games. I, I'm actually not sure that, that that's coming, but I like that it existed and it doesn't exist anymore. And I think the sport is worse off for that. And, and it sucks. Well, here's, here's why I think TV ratings are really relevant because it does, it's a huge judge in interest, both locally and nationally. Because when more people watch your games, that means more people care about those games. And, and that directly leads to revenue, which, of course, then leads into uh, the disparity among the leagues. And I think you're right, David, in, in that, that money became a big part of the issue with Jim Delaney talking about adding a 12th team. And he added he was very transparent and he actually admits that he was probably wrong for being so transparent in the reasons for adding another team in 2011, ultimately with Nebraska. It had to do with uh, just trying to get more of a national reach. Uh, the Sun Belt and, and the areas that were growing, whereas the Midwest was you know, constricting a little bit. So that was the reasons why that they really wanted to go into that path of, of get, gaining more, um, you know, of, and I think that's why people, you know, now have turned themselves away. I mean, it all really dates back to the Supreme Court decision in the 80s because everything was, uh, you know, like a, like a soccer game. There's no offsides. It was almost communist in some respects where, you know, you couldn't just, you didn't know which games are going to be on TV and everybody got to be on TV. You know, you could have, you know, I remember Wichita State playing Drake. Neither team has scholarship football now uh, being on instead of Big Ten games in, in, in the early 1980s. And I think right now what you're getting at is, 
the revenue matters the most. That's what why people are leaving these leagues instead of acknowledging where they are. And would that revenue gap doesn't really matter for the West Coast schools versus the Midwest schools or the, or the Southeast schools? I don't know. I I because I kind of wonder: Are they going to be recruiting in those regions anyway? And then is it you know how far are you going to fall apart as long as you're competitive in football? That that remains to be seen. But I think right now it's it's a matter of everybody wanting to make sure that they are um, in a place where they're not going to fall, fall behind. And that's why um, I'm lamenting the loss of all those leagues. I like the the regionally based leagues. You're playing the same teams over and over and over again. It mattered. You know, when you played them now, it's going to be fewer um, and far between when you play these teams. But at the same time, I, I think there's going to be a heightened interest. I think when Oregon goes and plays Ohio State or Michigan or USC goes to Wisconsin or Iowa City in the middle of November, I think people are going to tune in more so than they would have if it was Indiana playing those schools, even though they will, of course, too. But uh, So I, I think there's going to be more interest. Same thing with Arizona schools playing in, in Texas and, and other places. But I do think it's, you know, we also should take a shot and throw the shot glass against the wall and, and remember the, the, the series and the rivalries that we've lost here. Dan yeah, came up with a great idea, by the way, of pooling the TV rights. Guess what? We did that 30 years ago with the College Football Association. Right after mm-hmm. the 84 Supreme Court decision was made, the College Football Association controlled the TV rights for about Five conferences, I believe it was. The Big Ten and the Pac-10 were not part of it. But then that crumbled because Notre Dame left and did its own deal with NBC. And then five years later, the SEC and the Big East struck out and did their own deal with CBS. And so then everybody was looking out for themselves. So at the end of the day, we're we're all right about the factors to blame here. But ultimately, I think to David's point, it's money. And it's the lack of a central power figure or or czar or whatever you want to call it to look out for the greater good of the sport to look out for the greater good of everybody because once it became that every conference or school was looking out for themselves and it was a race to the top of the food chain financially that's how we ended up on this path another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One interesting question that I would like to pose, and I, I truly am not sure the answer to this because I think, you know, people love money. I don't know if you've heard this, but if if you asked today's administrators and you polled, I don't know, most of them, depending on the situation, you know, certainly you'd vote one way or the other. If you're Oregon State versus Alabama, you might vote differently. But 
if you went, were able to go back in time and say, hey, if you knew that this was the end point of breaking all that up and not pulling your TV rights, would you still do it? Because I understand people wanted freedom. People wanted agency. They said, this is not a good system. We can make more elsewhere. I get that. But if you knew that it was going to become this sort of perverted, like twisted version of college sports, to say nothing of, we don't have time to get into obviously all the non-revenue sports and how badly they got screwed this weekend and how bad their lives are going to be moving forward. I think that's just sort of an accepted reality that like schools are like, what 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 uh, was it the was it Lord Farquaad or whatever that said you know I believe that many of you are going to die and that's just something that I am comfortable living with or something along those lines. <laughs> it's like we're gonna make a ton of money and all of y'all's lives are gonna get worse, but like, sorry. Anyway, I, I'm curious what they would think if they knew that this was the end point because, I, you know, for me it seems obvious that the sport is worse now. But it's probably a more valuable property just for a fewer amount of people. So, you know, I, I, I'm wondering if I'm just shouting at a cloud or telling people to, to get off my lawn when I sort of long for the wistful uh, days of the Southwest Conference and the Big Eight and the Pac-10 and on all these things. But I, I just, again, I, I love college football because of the regional identity, because of the diversity of scheme. And when you watch a Pac-12 game and an SEC game and a Big Ten game, they all look very different. They're different sports. They're different types of people. Um, and I, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I, I, I want to say that if they went back to 1984 and said, hey, maybe we should change the rules but keep this thing pooled, I want to say that they would do it differently, but I'm not sure. I, I think I just, you know, am frustrated that they've wanted to pretend to be nonprofits while the money has exploded and gotten addicted to the money. And and now you literally can't afford to have your your money go down or have another school uh, or another set of schools make $15 million more than you. And, and the fact that that gap exists is, is crazy. Um, and I think, again... Pooling rights and a merit-based system makes a lot of sense, uh, incentivizing winning. But, you know, we're through the looking glass now. It's it's too late. <laughs> well, the funny part is that in that Supreme Court decision, both the Pac-12, Pac-10, and Big Ten filed amicus briefs on behalf of keeping the status quo. They wanted to keep it that way. It was you know, Oklahoma through the Big Eight, and it was mm-hmm. Georgia through the SEC, and Notre Dame was was very instrumental in breaking this apart. And then in the immediate aftermath, the the Pac-10 and the Big Ten became partners for several years, as far as uh, uh, you know, working together for TV rights work that way. The Big Ten in 1988 was the first one to have a grant of rights to the center, and it hurt some of the schools that you wouldn't think it would hurt. Um, back then basketball rights were very comparable to what you got with football rights. Iowa had the most incredible network, financially lucrative network there ever was. Uh, Indiana was very close to that. Illinois and Purdue were as well. Michigan couldn't get its basketball games on in Detroit. So it was actually pulled more so from Michigan and Ohio State and some of those schools pulled away from Iowa, Purdue, Indiana, especially those three, to make sure that everything was shared equally because Iowa actually made more money than they did. Now you're seeing it, it you know, kind of flip 
obviously in the other direction. So I think that there were ways that CFA was another one. There were ways to make this probably more manageable in the past. But once everybody started to break away and uh, capitalism took reign, I mean, I think we're, we're in that stage. The one thing that I do think I, I'm not in favor as much of merit based because I saw that, you know, firsthand. And I'm sure, David, you did. I know, Sam, you did in the Big 12 and just some of the discrepancies between um, at that time, Nebraska, Texas, Oklahoma versus the other schools and how that became such a combative issue at times um, over who had more you know, t TV games and and what have you. And I think if that was to happen in the Big Ten, it never has before because it's been around since 1896. But if that was, then I think that could lead to a breakup in, two genera in a generation or two to where Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, maybe some others decide, you know what, I think maybe it's time that we broke off on our own. We're too busy making all this money and, and uh, we're carrying around some dead weight. It's one of those awesome. reasons, by the way, we're going deep on a history lesson here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, the, 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 the unequal revenue share in the Big 12 is a big reason we had the Pac-16 fiasco in 2010 yeah. because the schools that there was 50% was divided equally and 50% was divided up based on TV rights. And so it created discrepancy between the teams that were always on TV and the teams that weren't. And so, yeah, I think it, it's a little bit tricky to, to kind of back to David's point. I don't know. I think if you go back and tell them in 1995 that this is what we would end up doing. Yeah, I think there would be a lot of fear and maybe it would think twice, but I don't know that there was any other way because before the NCAA's control of TV rights was broken up, I think you're only limited to three TV appearances a year. And there's no doubt that TV money and television exposure has greatly enhanced the health of the sport at large and the visibility of the sport. So that's the double-edged sword is while it has affected these conferences and it has affected the traditional rivalries and the regionality that we love, it has also made it into the lucrative sport and the entertainment product that we know it today. Because guess what? In 1985, I couldn't go watch Texas State football on TV. But now you can watch Texas State football on TV or you can watch, you know, uh, Coastal Carolina, you know, you can watch all these teams that wouldn't have been readily available because of the way it was restricted back then. So I think it's hard to say, could you have taken some other steps? Sure. And I think probably the CFA, if it had existed and sustained, we probably could have been in a better place. But but it, it's I think it, it, we did get down a path that, like like Scott said, once conferences started breaking out on their own and the Com College Football Association dissolved, I think it was really hard to stop this train from where it was. And I, I'll go back when we go back to the blame scale. The biggest schools... Because what started this round of realignment, Texas and OU leave in the Big 12. Because we were we were kind of, we had some silence there on the realignment train for a little while uh, there. And then Texas and OU made the move to the SEC. And then USC and UCLA made the move to the Big 10. And I think w when those programs that are major programs and tent poles of their conferences decided, well, being the tent poles of our conference isn't enough that's when it sended everybody into the scramble. I'd have to go back and and uh, and have a history lesson on a lot of the complaints about the CFA, but I I feel like in the current market where you have a lot more cable networks, 
a lot more readily available streamers, whether that be ESPN Plus or whoever you want to do. There's so many platforms to put games on that it's not just three networks anymore, you know, and I feel like that the idea of pooling TV rights and being able to make everyone happy enough is realistic. But, you know, we're sort of through the looking glass. Let's turn the page from the past into the future at this point. I think the biggest, most pressing question is you have the reigning Pac-4, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State. If you are them, and I'll start with you, Sam, what, what's your best move here? It's a great question. I think if you can grab a life raft onto the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the even the ACC, as ridiculous as it seems from a geographic standpoint, if you can grab mm-hmm. a life raft there, I think you do it. Um, I think the next option is, can you backfill and can you reconstitute your conference as it is? Uh, certainly, there's an option to go, like if you're Oregon State or Washington State, to go to the Mountain West. But is that is that really going to be the right move? Or is it better to try to get Mountain West schools to come to you? I don't know. And that's that's what makes it so difficult for these schools is because they're kind of in a tough spot. Uh, and I don't know how how plentiful their options are at this point. And it's scary. It, 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 we talked about the Southwest Conference. It reminds me of the position that Houston, TCU, SMU, and Rice were in back in 1994 when this all happened. And then mm-hmm. I think TCU, SMU, and Rice ended up in the WAC. Houston ended up in newly formed Conference USA. And I can tell you the lost revenue from a media rights standpoint compared to their counterparts who went on to the Big 12 is massive. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. I was adding it up the other day. If you took Houston and Texas Tech, who are, you know, I, I would say have a comparable size and and profile when it comes to public schools in Texas, from 2005 to 2022, the difference in media rights revenue was like more than $300 million between those two of what, what Texas Tech took in versus what Houston took in. So it's massive. So it's a criti- this is a critical time for those four universities to figure out what their next step is and, and to land in a place where the drop in media rights revenue isn't going to be so devastating. And I just, I don't know how possible that is. I, I hope they do. I hope they do because those are fun. Oregon State and Washington State are really fun programs. Cal and Stanford have some great reputations. Stanford, one of the most successful athletic departments as a whole in the country. And I was talking about this yesterday. How Remember how good Stanford was, uh, especially in the Jim Harbaugh era, Andrew Luck going to the uh, Heisman, Heisman Trophy finalist. Uh, them upsetting USC. I mean, this is Stanford. Yes, they've been down lately, but this is not a bad program. So I, I hope they are able to figure something out. Yeah, I was actually texting with uh, well, a couple of administrators over the weekend, and, and one of them we were talking about, this is a bad time for Stanford to not be good at football. And this is as low as they've been probably since the pre-Harbaugh era, uh, the program that he took over because, you know, Bryce Love, Christian McCaffrey, um, Toby Gerhardt, you know, the, the Harbaugh Shaw era, you don't have to go back, but I mean, they were, um, uh, you know, certainly one of, if not the best program, um, you know, in the PAC 12 for a good year, I mean, a good decade there, you know, from USC to, to Oregon. I mean, they were right there with them, uh, you know, for, for quite a while, uh, once USC fell off when, when Pete Carroll left. So it's a bad time. And I think the interesting thing that, you know, not all of those four are created equal. I, I think if you're Stanford, 
the idea that Stanford could somehow get a ticket to the pack or to the Big Ten is not insane to me. Although TV networks control all these decisions, it is still university presidents that are actually voting and are actually the ones that you sort of have to whip the votes for. And if you're sitting around uh, a room and you say, hey, hey, fellow college presidents, how do you feel about Stanford coming and joining the party? I, that, that's going to be very attractive to some people. I, I think as much as these have become sort of um, craven football money uh, factory driven decisions, there is still like a flicker of academics still in there. The college presidents and CEOs, again, they're still the people that are making these decisions. So I don't I think the odds are probably against that happening. But if it did happen, uh, you know, I'm not sure that I'd be floored. I think if I'm those four, I think my focus is looking at the Mountain West and saying, okay, who are the most valuable properties and what is the right number? Is eight the right number? Is 10 the right number? Is Boise the, you know, going to bring in something? What about San Diego State? What do you do? I think that's where I'm going. I think I'm going a little bit of a smaller league, even though that might leave you vulnerable in the future. You know, you have to sort of make the most of, of what you're you're doing here. It's a really it's a lemonade out of lemons situation. Um, do the best that you can. I feel like a smaller league makes a lot more sense than saying, you know, throwing your hands up and saying, all right, Mountain West, come get us. Uh, so we'll see. I, I think that's where I would probably go if I was those four. It's it's a really interesting situation, as you said, because a year ago I was talking to a couple of Big Ten administrators about Stanford and Cal because that got brought up you know, substantially after USC and UCLA because they have you know, a history. They're in the same state. In fact, when the, the Pac-12 went into divisional play um, and they split uh, the Bay Area schools, went to the north and the, the L.A. schools stayed south, uh, they mandated that they had to play one another every they were just not going to to just uh, rotate in a normal fashion. So that became kind of an interesting angle. But talking to Big Ten administrators last year, it was like, we don't have interest in Stanford and Cal, you know, even though academically they're, they're awesome. It's just the matter that they are, um, that we already work with them in the AAU. So it's, there's no real need for that to work together in, in the Big Ten and its academic consortium. That said, when you get to this point and you maybe tug on the heartstrings a little bit of some of those administrators at Northwestern, at Michigan, and all the other elite institutions, and you say, look, we're leaving out Cal Berkeley and Stanford? Really? You're going to leave those two out to dry? Um, it would not surprise me at all if there's either some sort of a life raft tossed in its direction or if there's some sort of workable agreement, and this might be something I would consider if I was Stanford or Cal, is we understand that we're not going to be able to get in the Big Ten, but can the Big Ten help us out? Maybe, maybe uh, agree to two games a year, three games a year, so we can have uh, you know whether it's USC, UCLA, maybe a, a Midwestern-based Big Ten team come out and play us annually in a home and home or something to that effect. I think that might help. Um, but this is really a tough situation because of Cal and Stanford. I mean, unfortunately, when you look at attendance, when you look at TV ratings, they just don't move the needle, even though program-wise Stanford, as you said, was a tremendous program for about a decade. Um, 
and Cal has had its moments too, and it's the University of California. So this is a this is a really interesting situation. But I do think that you know maybe a, a, an eight or a, even a you know a seven team league might be the best bet for them to say let's go get Boise State, San Diego State. Maybe, maybe even Air Force or UNLV. I was wondering and, about Air Force. <laughs> you know, just some yeah. of those teams that that can kind of consolidate. You don't need to get all of them. <laughs> you don't need San <laughs> San Jose State in in the Pac twelve, but you could go back and be the Pacific Coast Conference. Get those. Yeah. Then maybe maybe get maybe get Gonzaga. You know, for basketball and kind of float a little bit more that way. You could see if Gonzaga's basketball team wants to also play football. You know. Two birds, one stone. I'd like to see Chet Holmgren run a couple, run a post route. Why not? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's briefly hit on on the field. There's so many moving parts, and we'll open this up. Well, we'll 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 we'll, we'll punt on Texas and Oklahoma because that's too far in the in the rear view. We'll keep USC and UCLA in the conversation. But when you look at okay, you have. Oregon, Washington, UC, USC, UCLA going to uh, the Big Ten. You have the trio of Utah, Arizona State, and Arizona going to the Big 12. Of those seven schools, who do you think upgraded their future prospects the most and who downgraded their future prospects the most by making this switch on the field? I'll start with the the upgrading is... I think the schools that are going to the Big 12, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, because the Big 12 does not have a real dominant power once Texas and OU leave. A lot of these teams are going to be operating in the same budget stratosphere, uh, and the competitiveness from top to bottom is going to be really close. Uh, When you get Colorado back in this recruiting the state of Texas, which they did heavily in their Big 12 era, I think that's going to help them. Utah already has recruited the state of Texas quite a bit and very successfully have gotten some really good players out of the state of Texas. Being now in a conference with schools in that state, it's going to only help them. Arizona State has got two dynamite recruiters on their staff uh, with Texas ties, Rashad Samples and Brian Karen, and that's going to help them. Arizona obviously is a little bit building up. Uh, Arizona Arizona State have been down, so they're, they're building up. But I think they enter a league where it's wide open. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. TCU went to the national championship game. Kansas State won the Big 12. But there's no one program that you look at in the Big 12 right now and say, that's going to be the team that takes control of this conference. I think it's wide open for the taking. And I could very easily see Utah coming in and having a a major impact in the Big 12 right off the bat. Yeah, I think the I point to the Arizona schools for all the recruiting reasons that you that you pointed to. The one thing that I think is sort of a fallacy is like, I've heard this conversation that like, oh, well, we can get a hand in Florida now because UCF is a big 12. No, 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 no. You have a Texas pipeline now if you're Utah and you're Colorado and you're uh, Arizona State and Arizona. I think the Colorado fans are going to be mad at me for for leaving them out. But to be fair, that happened like a month ago. I don't even remember that, right? Uh, (laughs) No, but uh, uh, you have that that pipeline. And also Colorado, I feel like they've – like I can see them in both the. It's not weird. Obviously, it's not weird to think about them in the Big Twelve or the Pac Twelve. I thought they made sense for both of those leagues, um, but their move, like sort of being independent, 
of anyone else on both sides sort of outrunning the guillotine to the Pac-12 and then back into the Big 12. Shout out to Colorado, man. They've been like they've been they've been making very interesting moves and not getting any sort of blame or any sort of uh, you know, uh, blowback from any of these decisions that they've made and have been making decisions that have uh, benefited their school. So props to the Buffs, but yeah, I, I think those Arizona schools can, and you're not playing in a league anymore, like you said, with with a USC, uh, with an Oregon that's playing with a different talent level than you are. I think that's the new Big Twelve is going to be like absolutely fire, like just because uh, the talent level is so equal across the board that you know there's not going to be. I mean, the, the preseason polls. I want to chart the Big Twelve preseason poll the next five to ten years because. It is going to be all over the place, and then you know the the, the postseason standings they're going to be all over the place, um, just because the 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 margin of error and the difference in the roster from the number one number two team to the number 10, 11 team, maybe even further down than that, is going to be really 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 small, uh, and it's going to be uh, you know one of the most entertaining leagues for sure. So I'm going to point to the Arizona schools. You know, I think one thing about this league is it's going to be the most exciting league, I think, of all of them. I'm not saying that it's going to be the best, but I think the mm-hmm. most exciting. When you're looking at, you know, whether it's the, uh, you know, the the group of five teams coming in, Cincinnati recently had its moment. UCF has had its moment. Uh, you know, TCU and Utah were former G5 teams that, you know, that have had great uh, seasons. TCU making all the way to the championship game. Utah twice now has won the 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 Pac-12 title and been in the Rose Bowl, and then you look at some of the the holdovers, if you will, Kansas State, Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma State. They've all had really good teams over the years, and it's going to be a wide open, crazy league. BYU's been good. Houston's been to major bowl games. So there's to me, there's a lot of fun that's going to be attached to this league, and I think Arizona, Arizona State. And Colorado have probably improved their lot a little bit because they're with teams and schools that are kind of where they are. Um, when you look at the the four going to the Big Ten, I think it's interesting because it can be really difficult for them. And, and it's not just because they're entering a league where there are some elite powers and then there are teams that are kind of sneaky, really good. And you don't want to go to Madison in November. It's not easy or Iowa city uh, at night or, or Michigan state or white out of Penn state. And you're going across the country and you're going to have to go across the country multiple times. And, and we've seen like USC, you know, what happened to its defense last year? <laughs> what's, what's going to happen in the big 10 when it gets just ran on? I mean, I did see UCF. Nobody will believe this unless they they look up the box score. But I saw Iowa put forty nine on USC a couple of years ago. So it does happen, and I, I think that going across the country, playing those games repeatedly, it's different than going once. You know, like Oregon to Ohio State for a, a big noon kickoff a couple of years ago. It won that game. It played really well. But to do it over and over and over again. I think they're they're going to have some significant challenges, um, except for the years when they are incredibly elite. Scott, okay, I just looked that up. Hold on, (laughs) forty nine points. I just looked that up. Uh, I did not realize that two thousand nineteen series. (laughs) No man, they had they had a wide receiver score three different ways in the same quarter. I mean, you know, and or, I mean, they they scored like on their first five or six possessions touchdowns. So you're talking about the NCAA uh, video game. 
Correct. <laughs> you did this, Scott. Yeah, I, this is crazy. Nate Stanley threw for 313 yards. 313 yards. 49-24 Iowa. That is amazing. Maybe Brian Ferentz isn't so bad, huh? <laughs> well, you know, there were years where they averaged 32 points a game, and then there was last year. Um, I will say this, and I won't get in too far in deep with Iowa. Nate Stanley threw 68 touchdown passes in three years. The last three years, they've thrown 28. So maybe Nate Stanley wasn't so bad. For me, I, I think people are sort of sleeping on UCLA as a loser in all this um, in terms of life got a lot harder. UCLA, they've won five or they've won 10 games five times since 1989. I don't know if you're aware of this. Never won 11 games. They've kind of they read to me like like the, the Michigan State in some ways of the of the of the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever you want to call it, Pac-4. <laughs> and you you're you're always a good program, but you're always kind of looking up at somebody. And it usually is one to two teams. Sometimes it's Stanford. A lot of the time it's USC. Uh, sometimes it was Oregon. Now you're going to the Big Ten. You're not going to ever be better than Ohio State and Michigan. You still have USC. Oregon's still there. In a lot of years, Washington might have a better roster than you. When's the next time UCLA is going to win 10 games? You know, you need if Dante Moore is Superman, maybe it happens soon. But now you're going across the country. You're going to be playing in cold weather. I'm sure, listen, when your primary recruiting base is California, people joke about it. But, like, if they have to play a snow game in November, that's not great. Like, I don't like your odds if you have to go to Iowa City and go play in 20 degrees. Like, Iowa is going to have a distinct advantage. Some might say a decided schematic advantage um, if, we, if we want to go down that road. I I think UCLA, you are in a situation where now you are playing with a lot more big boys, and I think having those peak years is going to get harder for them. So I'm people are sleeping on UCLA as, I think, a team that I think is, is going to, um, you know, come out in not a great place on the field as you join a league with a lot more superpowers. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think they look to me kind of going into this year like they were they're the Maryland of the West Coast. I mean, Maryland has some great talent, but Maryland just cannot get over the hump in the East, and and they're not real great against the West teams either. So I think UC, UCLA has shown that it's been competitive at times, but a lot of times it's not. And and I think going to these games, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I was at Minnesota last year and it was the middle of November. If they've got to go there, might as well just forfeit. I mean, it's not, that's not an environment <laughs> you want to be in on the sidelines. I hate so, the gold. I would forfeit. <laughs> it was, it was the most miserable, you know, I was out I'm like, I got to make a, I got to stand on the sideline for this for a while. And I'm like, oh my God, it was like minus one and the wind was gusting and it was just miserable. So I can't imagine somebody from USC, UCLA going there and enjoying that environment. Um, so I, I think that they're going to, they're going to struggle. And I do think that adding Oregon and Washington does provide a little bit of a lifeline for them for scheduling instead of having to go across the country four or five times a year. Now they, my guess is it is that they'll all be kind of deemed permanent opponents. So then the years when they are scheduled to have five road trips, that it's actually only three instead of five, because then they'll be going to like say USC and Oregon or Washington on those years. So that'll lessen it a little bit, but you know, it, it's going to be a, it's going to be an uphill climb, I think, for you at UCLA. We've seen those horrible pictures at the Rose Bowl and how that's kind of fallen apart. Um, you know, attendance wise, 
I think it'll be better because there's a lot of transplants out there, but I think they're going to struggle, no question. Well, if I'm Chip Kelly or I'm Lincoln Riley, I'm getting Dilly Bardan on the line. I'm bringing him in as a cold weather consultant, and I'm getting these boys in shape this off season. We're gonna have, <laughs> we're gonna build a giant freezer, and we're gonna have to run some routes in camp. Uh, it's like when teams prep for the triple option teams. Same concept, all right. Indoor facility. We're looking and seeing what are the what are the structural limits of our air conditioning system. Can we get it in the 30s? Uh, you have all that Big Ten money. I don't want to hear you complaining about air conditioning bills. You got it. You can do this. Um, so there are ways around this. Let's think outside the box. Um, as we look to the future of the landscape uh, on the whole, I think a question that you sort of saw it start to get broached, uh, but the way that qualifying for the college football playoff uh, is going to happen was sort of set. And... Now it's not going to be set in, in the 12-team playoff. If you could draw it up from scratch, uh, Scott, I'll start with you here. How do, how do we handle this in terms of how you get in and, and what the specifications are? Because do you, does, the, does the Pac-8, Pac-12, you know, Mountain West Pacific Conference, do they deserve an automatic bid? I, I think most people would probably say no at this point. Um, but what, what do you do? I, well, I, I think you still have to extend a, an olive branch to the smaller conferences so you don't become like a cartel or something like that. But I, I think you probably drop it to five, five and seven, five automatic qualifiers and seven at-larges. And, uh, you know, the the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC and the, and the Big 12 will all be teams that probably almost get automatic bids. And then I think you, you have a number five, whether that's uh, some years it could be the Sun Belt, other years the Mountain West that, that get an automatic spot. I think that's probably the fairest way to do it. I mean, I'm sure the Big Ten and the SEC would say, hey, let's just have the top 12. But I think that's in some ways too subjective. I think you want to have some sort of qualification if you can for teams that actually play in a conference because then it's too it's too easy for the SEC to say, we're in the SEC, it's the toughest conference. Uh, our fifth best team is better than the Big 12's first team. And, you know, I think you should still have some sort of qualification process, but I think you got to cut number, you know, at least cut one off the automatic qualifier list because the Pac 12 or mm-hmm. Pac 4 or whatever isn't going to be part of it. Well, there's one thing I we know we about don't. the SEC, the Big 10, is that they're going to be uh, very generous, just very giving, not selfish yeah. at all. Um, so I, I, I think that's something that we should definitely expect from them is that. How can we help you, I think, is where the conversation will start for the SEC and the Big Ten. Sam, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, I have a feeling that we're probably going to end up where Scott said is, well, I, and I saw Heather Dinich, who who covers the playoff uh, for ESPN, I think broached this topic either last night or this morning, uh, the idea of possibly cutting down the automatic bits from six to five and going seven at larges. I can live with it, I guess. I I don't love it. I would rather leave it in the format that we have it at six because I, I don't have a problem with conference champions and non-power conference getting a bid. To me, if you're going to purport to be the championship of FBS football, mm-hmm. then I think there's a legitimate argument for a qualification mechanism for every conference. And I, I would not have no... And now, of course, you'd have to expand it to get to this point, but I'd have no problem if every if every conference in the FBS had an automatic bid. 
what just like they do in the NCAA tournament in Division One, every conference has a bit. So we got to get Ari I, on this podcast to scream at you after that. Well, well, <laughs> and and here's the thing about here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about that. We Ari and Max and I talked about this on Sunday on on our live show of until Saturday, and I'm I made the the mea culpa that the championship and the national champion and how we determine it has pro- how we determine it. How we determine it? I can't speak all of a sudden. Um, that has become probably too important to the mm-hmm. sport at this point because for a long time, and, and I'm a proponent of, like I said, a larger playoff because I think all those schools should have uh, access point. But I do. I am afraid of where we've gone to the importance of it because it used to be okay. We had two teams play for the national championship, but then if you won the Rose Bowl, or if you won the Cotton Bowl, or even you made made it to a bowl different measures of success for different programs meant something special. And the bigger the playoff comes, the more important it becomes, the more we lose that and the more it becomes championship or nothing. When you have a sport with 133 FPS teams right now, it's impossible for everybody to get there. So I I am afraid of how that's happening. But at the same time, in order to keep things from getting so lopsided, I'm torn between do we how much access do we give versus losing the soul of the sport, which I guess in some ways we kind of already have. But I, I to, to Scott's point and your point, I think we'll end up with fewer qualifications uh, automatically. And I, I but I would have I would I'm totally fine with the six and six and sticking with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I think if you I think if your biggest concern or the thing that you're most interested in in college football is who won the national championship or the national championship race. Dare I say, I don't think you actually understand the allure of college football. It's like uh, it's like Nirvana fans or claiming yourself to be a Nirvana fan. Like, dude, the thing I love most is like, dude, they're so loud on Smells Like Teen Spirit. Like, it's <laughs> that's like the best thing. Like, I don't think you actually really get like what we're doing here. Like, so like, yes, the national championship uh, race is great. It's cool. You know, the loud parts mm-hmm. of Smells Like Teen Spirit are cool and all that. But like, there's a lot more too this whole operation that you should try to get to know. So yeah, the, the, the national championship will sort itself out at the end of the day. College football doesn't really have Cinderella's like I, I'd have to go back, but like how many times have we crowned a national champion where you could say, was that the best team this year? It happens like every other year in college basketball, but like college football it's pretty much the best team every year. There's a few times where you could maybe make a case otherwise, but like it's so hard to get there, and I don't think that's going to change. However, we sort out who gets into the playoff. But I am I want to see more more faces and, and access the playoff. I think it's very very important for the future of the sport. And I do um I want I'd like to keep as many of those auto qualifiers as we can. I wouldn't go as far down as ten, Sam, but I think there is a value in saying. Every conference race matters. I think you keep people invested in that way um, when, hey, you know, I, I could see the way I, I don't think the Pac-10 is the best or whatever the pack becomes is the best example of it. But I think there's something to be said for, hey, you can discount us as a league, but like our champion still gets in and our championship game matters and our championship race and getting there. It, it, it affects the playoff race. I think there's value in that and keeping this a national sport. So, uh, you know. I you know I don't know that we need to have the MAC championship hold the same value unless you have a team. The thing that always made me mad about college football is that for like, especially in the playoff area, is that like fifty of the teams you could win all your games and it probably didn't matter. You need yeah, to get a lot of nuts. you yeah. need to get a lot of breaks. Right. 
That's like so anti-sports, anti-American. It's anti like everything cool about like mm-hmm. why people play the sport. So that I think we have done away with, and that is a positive. Um, so you know, if Buffalo goes eight and four and wins the MAC, I don't think we need to worry about getting them in the playoff. But you know, if Oregon State, you know, becomes you know, breaks loose and, and is 10 and three and wins the, wins the playoff or wins the PAC 12, whatever the PAC eight, whatever we want to call this, whatever this league's going to become. I kind of still would like to see them, uh, 100%. get in there or if San Diego state or Boise or ends up doing it. I, I'd kind of like to see that. So we'll see. We'll see. What I, a couple of things I would love to see was, would be, you know, a champions week among the group of five and maybe make mm-hmm. it, you know, where their conference championships are held Thanksgiving weekend, but then the champions week is, is the first weekend of December where maybe it's the top, the, the champions for each of the group of five, then they have matchups. And then that way the winner of the ultimate winner goes to uh, the playoff. And that could be like the mountain West champion versus the Sunbelt champion or the American. I mean, the Americans be awesome. been depleted, you know, something like that. And I think people would actually like, Oh yeah, I'll definitely watch that. More good football uh, games. Well, yeah, exactly. So I think that's something, you know, nobody will complain about. So that that would be something I would really be interested in. Scott, I think you accidentally invented uh, college football bracket busters, which like the (laughs) Pac-12 no longer exists. Yeah. uh, Well, guys, we're going to be talking about this for a long time. I think a lot of the questions that we pose today, we're going to have the answers um, become a little bit clearer over time, possibly, maybe. But college football is entering a new era, and it's sad to me. I think that's my overwhelming emotion of the last weekend. It's just, I'm sad. I'm going to miss what college football was, but I'm not going to stop watching the games. I'm going to love a lot of these big games. And, like, you know, I, I wrote a column about this when the SEC announced their schedule. Um, to quote the great philosopher uh, Taylor Swift, uh, I'm the problem. It's me, I believe. Uh, I hate all of this. And yet, I'm going to watch every game. I'm going to watch Penn State, Oregon. I'm going to watch Utah, uh, Texas Tech. Sorry. like, And I think a lot of people are like that. And I think that's a lot of the reason why this is happening. So, uh, fellas, I'm looking forward to chronicling it with all of us, uh, our staff here at Until Saturday and at The Athletic. Uh, we've had some great stuff over the weekend. Um, Scott, you've written a lot of good pieces about the Big Ten and its future. Uh, Sam, you did get some good job reporting. I wrote about winners and losers and all of this. So go read our stuff at The Athletic. We've, we've, we've written a lot over the weekend, <laughs> usually until the season happens. We're not doing a ton on, on Saturdays and Sundays, but I think some of us did this week. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Again, subscribe to Until Saturday on Apple, Spotify, all the podcast purveyors, all that stuff. Uh, leave us a review, a comment, subscribe to us on YouTube. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for paying attention. It's going to be a bumpy road, but we'll be here to get you through it. Looking forward to, uh, I'm sure there won't be any more realignment moves. I'm sure none of this will trickle down to the smaller conferences. For Scott Docterman, for Sam Khan, I'm David Ubbin. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you again soon.